It's time for a change. Strap your headphones on and join Chris, Scott, and Sean. Three active duty police officers in the Chicago suburbs. As they face the tough subjects, including police brutality, racial tension, rioting, and more. Weekly, you'll get tips and tricks on how to keep you and your family safe, what to do during traffic stops, how to handle domestic violence, and more. This This is a show about about opening a dialogue, accepting that something has to be done, and bringing communities together again. And now your hosts, Chris, Scott, and Sean. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Three Cops Talk. This is Sean, your host. I'm here with my co-host, Uncle Chris. Hey. Hey. And Sergeant Scott. <laughs> Hello. What's up, boss? Uh, hey, it's good to be <laughs> back. Good sound guys. effects. Uh, good. Dude, sound I got effect. like I got all kinds of these, these yeah, buttons. Like, really? You put, like you putting like this is so funny. We're talking about mental health. You put this guy in front of a bunch of bunch of colored lights. I mean, he'd be pressing shit all day. Can't focus. <laughs> People didn't know we were getting ready to talk about mental health yet, Chris. So I guess oh, I just laid it in there. Thanks for blowing oh. the intro. Anyway, yeah, but I see all these shiny lights. He's all good. Um, thank God we don't have body cameras on. But. Today's show, we're going to talk about a subject that, you know, is obviously, as usual, we try to talk about topical pertinent subjects. And it's along the lines of, for our work, like, when you want to be a cop and you're young and you're pursuing this, like, you don't think about the money, you don't think about the benefits, you don't think about any of those things that are somewhat cool, I guess, depending upon where you work and live. Um, But there's, like, things that I used to think, like, this wasn't in the brochure, (laughs) <laughs> when I'm trying to get involved with a like a, a drug dealer and I have to go through all of the things that I have to go through and it usually involves like you know digging through garbage or something like yeah, that I mean, on a hot summer day right it's nice yeah, it's, it's, it's usually nice. like you know and it's I like always got the bag stock. that had the hygiene products in it from the bathroom I should have known oh, after about the 20th man. time that the tiny bags are the bad bags <laughs> don't right? touch that bag all, whatever's in there coming, that's where I had my heroin if I would and it's like you know and culturally people do things differently in the bathroom I, I'm not trying to be like weird but there <laughs> are different that. things that happen in the bathroom that the modern sewage system can't really <laughs> end with um, very well so what, you know what, what things do you study there's, there's always <laughs> things that you never know what's coming down and what's going at you um and one of the things that i i think we all would be lying if we didn't say this would be that you know we didn't quite realize how much as a police officer you're dealing with the mental health issues that affect our society both externally to law enforcement and internally to law enforcement. And one of those, depending upon where you're at, can be way worse than the other if you don't really get your arms around it. But like Scott said before, and we've talked about on previous shows, the joke about criminal justice is you take criminal justice because you don't really want to study serious things. You just want to get out there and start doing stuff. Um, you know, I've always said that I feel that Oh, here we go. Now you, just, now you just hurt Scott's feelings. Great. All right. You guys want to take a minute? Oh, I'm not trying to hurt Scott's feelings. <laughs> he said he embarrasses easily. <laughs> oh, That's nice why we job. have Melissa with us. I'll talk to her about her in a second here. But um, I always thought that, you know, we, we'd probably be better off if, if criminal justice was a minor and our majors were like, you know, communications or, you know, Something yeah, to do with sales, communication, psychological type things more than anything else. Because what we deal with is people that are having bad days. And generally, bad days manifest themselves in the form of something that you made a mental mistake doing it, whether it was just a moment or whether it was a lifetime of issues, um, hereditary, uh, you know, things that happened to you during the crisis of your life. So, you know, we can never, ever really talk about mental health related issues enough as police officers and anybody we can get on that's willing to come and sit and talk with the three of us about it. One, you get an actual case study out of it when you're dealing with us. And then two, it's like, hey, she gets like, it's these are practice hours for her. It's like, she's, you know, 
getting her reps in by dealing with the show. She's getting three for one week. right here. Continuing <laughs> education <laughs> credits. It's a shame she's not getting paid for three, for three hours oh, of consultation. Like she's an attorney. Oh, there you um, go. Payment but anyway, enough, our, our, our guests three today, unless you guys got anything to add about you know your experiences uh, with the unexpected in, in law enforcement, uh, to start off with Chris, Scott, you got anything to add to this? Um, well, you know, you're right. When you talk about when you sign up for this job, you know, you're going to do a variety of things, but that's only from what you hear stories about and what you do when you, you know, what you hear from other cops and things like that. And as time goes on and you see mental health situations that you deal with and, you know, it's, it's crazy to think that those things don't personally affect you a little bit as you go on too. I mean, as the years go on, you, you see people struggling and in a lot of, situations where things are out of control and you're trying to help them and you know as that goes on you see a lot of that and you, you start to think about stuff yourself and trying to uh you know make sure your your own mental health is in a good place as well i think no i agree i mean i, I think when you know just like you said sean when we started this thing you don't think you know you hear all the stories you watch tv but you know when you're actually you know when you're actually knee deep and stuff you, you know you're just like holy cow you know i didn't sign up for this and at some point you start thinking about it and you know for me I mean, this is going to sound a little crazy, but I'm fortunate enough to have a dog in my car. So I'm sure, you know, if you could, you know, talk to him, you'd be like, wow, man, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. Because it's just like when you come off, it's just like my own, um, you know, after the critical incident, you know, you know, you sit in a room and you talk to people. Mm-hmm. I talk to him for the next half hour, 45 minutes, you know, and he he's a good listener, just so everybody knows. He's not getting paid enough. <laughs> right, no, right. He's not. Right. He's a great listener. Right. So, yeah, but, yeah. I, it, you know, when we started talking about doing the show today, I kind of thought about that. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm pretty lucky, you know, to have, because we ride what we call, we, most of us are single cars and, you know, you really don't have anybody to talk to after something right away where I'm fortunate enough that, that I do, you know, have, you know, Max to talk to. Um, but I, until we did the show, I didn't realize how kind of important it was is to kind of like, you know, the debriefs and stuff like that, no matter what it is. I mean, some things don't affect people differently than, you know, than most people. Some people sit in a debrief and go, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. And some people be like, hey, this is super important. But, you know, I just think that, you know, the way that we're heading and we're doing a, we're moving forward okay. But I think we have a lot to work on because of the past history of, you know, you can't, you know, you're not, you're never going to be a good cop or whatever if you admit that you, you know, have a problem or, you know, you need to talk to somebody. And the cool thing about having Max as somebody that's like your counselor is that you know you can tell when the session's going well and you're making progress with your treatment because he gets out of the car and rubs his butt in the grass. And like, you know, that's a good sign. Like, oh, he's happy. This is good. I'm doing Funny, right. He says you know, the same thing about me. Right, right, absolutely. Well, anyway, moving right along. Well, our guest today is a licensed clinical professional counselor. She's received her undergraduate degree with honors from Roosevelt University in Chicago. She majored in clinical psychology and received a minor in sociology. Uh, Melissa went to uh, earn her master's degree from the Illinois School of Professional Psychology in Chicago. Uh, Her clinical training sites include the Safer Foundation and the Chicago Academy High School. Uh, Without further ado, as I always say, please give it up for our guest today, Melissa Wilber. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> it's so great to be here. Extended so applause. Extended applause. The studio audience is like this. Uh, uh, right. Right. Really the the lights. The lights. Well, it's great to have you, Melissa. We really, really welcome. Thank you. It. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I uh, I don't even know really where to begin, but criminal justice has really kind of always been something that I have been interested in. When I first went to college, I decided to go for theater. And then I took a psychology class, and then it was all 
over from there. And then my dad was actually an FBI agent. Really? So oh, yeah. but oh, I never cool. knew it. He was always right. gone. He would come home <laughs> right. with a, brief, wow. a cool. briefcase full of donuts and candy. So I just had this awesome dad. <laughs> really? We'd watch <laughs> Saturday morning cartoons. And yeah, and we'd eat donuts and it was great. And I, I never knew what he was doing. And I'm really grateful for that because now as an adult hearing stories of what he was doing, it's terrifying. Really? Yeah, right. Terrifying. Fact that you're saying the fact that you didn't know as a kid was probably helpful to you. Because yeah. you probably, if you didn't know, you'd probably be very, very worried about him. Yeah. yeah, well, and he couldn't and really talk about anything, about. even if we did know yeah. about it. But right, right, right. right. Huh. He's a G man, the G man, the consummate G man. That brown guy. briefcase. He still away. has the haircut. <laughs> still, <laughs> still has that. Right. Right. Very <laughs> manicured G man haircut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you knew right away, no, you're after your first class that you wanted to go into mental health. I knew, I knew right away, and I, when I dove in, I dove in from the criminal serial killer sex offender side of it i wanted oh, to know oh, yeah. more deep. about it real deep Rem- no more wings for what, you. flip that you switch were... just a class or was it a specific class about like ted bundy or whatever um it was my abnormal psych class cool mm-hmm. mm, yeah. okay i had all righty as i sit in this room <laughs> with these making notes three unsuspecting <laughs> victims <laughs> right oh boy yeah, great why is there a wood chipper being pulled up on my front lawn Right. Yeah. Wow. So great. So, well, I, you know, the cool thing about it is, is that you know, abnormal psych is probably a class that will keep you awake. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're, I'm assuming just listening to it. I took a psych class, and unfortunately, when I took it as an elective, I took it right after lunch. You know, in the military, <laughs> you get a lot of starchy foods. You know, <laughs> Why am I eating a salami? Then you go into hibernation mode, huh. and you're like, okay. And somehow, I still got out of the class. I think with like a B. Well done. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Look at you. Yeah. Wow. Look at you. I still know nothing. Dr. Really. Ferguson. Yeah. Like halfway yeah. to certification. <laughs> it's largely a doctor of philanthropy. It's <laughs> right. medical, I'll tell you. Anyway. So anyway, so then, then when did you kind of figure, okay, so you, you dove deep, and then when did you decide to go either to in to the law enforcement side or, you know, go to the crazies, or did you kind of do a little bit of both? I think I started with, well, delicately okay, called the technical the term, obviously. Sorry. We'll whisper, That's what we're working through. That word. Yeah, sorry. The Safer Foundation was probably my introduction, and that's that organization works with helping helping people transition out of the system and back into, quote unquote, life, being able to mm-hmm. be kind of a functioning member of society again, helping right. them find jobs, substance abuse treatment, anger management, all of that. How long have you been affiliated with that or how long did you have you been involved with that? I worked with the Safer Foundation as part of the work study program in my undergrad, so it was maybe a year. Not okay. long enough. Yeah. Not long enough. So, and when you say the system, you mean you mean both the criminal justice and mental health system? Both criminal of those justice. or criminal justice. Okay, very good. So these are you know, some of the individuals were adolescents, so they were coming up and you know what, I'm not sure if it was DOJ or DJJ at the time. Okay. But okay. I know at DOJ some point is Department it, of Justice Department. DJJ is Department of Juvenile, juvenile Justice. Justice. Right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. No, it's all good. So they were coming. So they, they were coming out of juvenile detention, and they had. No, yeah. And then the Safer Foundation was an organization that they could go to. You know, GED schooling, things like that. Okay. So were these the, mandated things that they were coming into this program from, or no? No. No. Okay. No. So, so what was the what was the process for people that would come into these? Pro- or I mean, was there a standard process? Like what what was involved with somebody that came into that process? What did you do with them? And then you know, how did they eventually were they able to 
I guess for lack of a better term, like graduate from this program or, you know, come out of this program? So, you know, when they come in, there's just that kind of assessment. What is it that you are looking for? What do you need? Do you need continued to continuing support with substance abuse? Do you need help with a resume? And there were counselors and there were therapists and there were substance abuse counselors and there were people that worked with them on the job side of it. And you really got to kind of pick and choose what it was that would best help you and support you to reintegrate and hopefully reduce recidivism. Yeah, right. Right, right. Okay, so then you get out of that and then you start your private practice? No, I went to graduate school okay. and then I started working with the Department of Juvenile Justice. Okay, wow. so directly. Okay, so yeah, that's going to be a whole new show about mm-hmm. that. So, all right, so then, you know, you work with the DJJ for a while and then you transition to your own personal private practice? And then a private practice. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then one of the things is when we're talking about this um, mental health issue in regards to uh, civilians and police, do you do a mixture of both? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. And then over the years um, that you've seen this, have you seen an increase from the law enforcement side? Sadly, I wish we saw an increase from the law enforcement side, but I I don't, we really haven't. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's the answer I would expect. You yeah. guys? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, oh, yeah. yeah. There's, I think there's still, there's still a stigma of people I mean, my in our own profession. Father, my own father makes yeah. jokes about it. Right. And yeah. he knows what I do for a living. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he still thinks it's very funny. And, you know, why would you, you know, who needs that stuff? Yes. Right. Well, yeah. and that's, I mean, that's the thing that we still see today. Right. And, and we've, we've increased, or I've seen a, a big increase in trying to promote people in our profession to get help for the things that they see or things that they're dealing with. I still don't know that we've, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that we've turned a corner on that where people still feel feel that comfortable getting some of that help i mean well um, what are some of the i mean i can tell you what i've read in studies as to what some of the roadblocks are for first responders in general police officers seeking out treatment but i would love to know what you guys are seeing well also i mean i'll start i mean I, I'll, I mean i'll start i mean it's just a stigma um and i think even from having to admit that you do that or you're going to seek some help to you know they. What's the program they they haven't? Uh, what's our program? What do they call it? Well, I mean, peer a review, different not peer review. Peer, oh, peer peer support. Peer support. That's right. Kind of a, so you but, know, it's yeah, but even that. Can we talk the, about that or no? Huh? You know, yeah. You well, know the peer support. What is? Well, peer support is basically it's law enforcement's real, you know, first serious attempt to you know work with the mental health community. Now that we've got a lot of social workers you know, mental health specialists that work with police agencies of recognizing the fact that you need to find someone that you can talk to about this. And it usually starts with your peers. You know what I mean? It, it, it's multifaceted. It was one of the better trainings I've ever been to. You know, like I've always said, I've been a SWAT guy and training and firearms and tactics and all this other crap. But one of the classes that I went to that was really kind of moving was the peer support one because it really coupled the mental health aspect of it. And the people in the class like opened up and it was all cops. Like, uh, from tears to crazy stories that you heard that were somewhat quite moving. And you, you know, and it's this idea that we never talked about it and you're so isolated with what you think you're dealing with and see because of how you work. But what you start to realize is that we're all, no matter where you work, like there's knocks like, oh, crazy. You, you know, you didn't go to Chicago because you were afraid of the action. It's like, 
afraid of the action. I mean, uh, yeah, well, sure. You live with that. I'm going to tell you why I didn't, uh, because I didn't want to live in the city or something like that. But it doesn't mean that because I am in a town that's a Western suburb that has a great reputation for safety that I'm not going to see humanity at, at its still at its worst. It doesn't, you know, those issues don't transcend socioeconomic status. I mean, they're, they're, they, they do transcend it. Um, so it was more of along the lines of like being there for people. And it's kind of like the idea of like, as a peer, I'm a member that allowed to have protected speech with you. I cannot go and turn you in unless there's very specific things, almost like if you're seeing a psychiatrist about these things um, or getting treatment for it. Like if, you know, someone's threatening to hurt themselves, hurt others, putting people that are at risk at further risk because of their behavior, you have to intervene. But beyond that, it's, you know, I don't talk about it. We had some difficulties with it because cops are really paranoid about it. Like, uh, no, this is going to get back to IU. This is going to get back. That's what I was just going to say. That's one of the big, that's one of the big stigmas. It's going to get back to somebody. uh, I'm not going to talk to anybody because they're going to tell me. Most agencies in America are not, are big, but not as big as like Chicago where there's like 10,000 cops and you can, Oh, they got transferred and people don't know. Like an agency, our size, like, where did this person go and then everybody figures it out so there's the huge stigma of that so there's some difficulties with that but peer support i found to be one of the more enlightening uh classes that i've ever and certifications that i've ever received because it allowed you to take a step back for yourself but also for the greater profession and not be so hard on each other about things that are you know happening you know what i mean right but I, and it, it is I, I mean i think it's a great step and but i just don't think that as a profession we're there yet to say hey like i'm gonna call scott and say hey you know, well, it's different because you guys are my friends, but I mean, I, I'm not going to call Scott if I don't really know who he is or whatever. I know he's a boss. I'm like, hey, I really need to talk to somebody. I just don't, I don't think that, I don't think we're there as a profession yet. Well, that's one of the things that stood out to me as one of the roadblocks to seeking support or treatment is this idea that one, I don't know you. And two, you don't know me. You don't know me as a police officer. You don't know what I go through. How right. could you possibly understand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and be of any kind of real support for this? And I thought right. that's valid. That holds water. Right. Yeah, but I mean, it, but I think that the th- the thing is, is when when you know we talk to people about this, I, and I think to me, I think it's just talking to somebody. I mean, I don't, I, it, you know, I don't care. Or the people shouldn't care what you do. It's just to, like I said, I, I mean, I'll tell a story to Max or whatever, but it's just to get that, to get that out there, you know, uh, off your chest. I would think. What do you think is a way to, what do you think is a way to combat that? Where when people, a valid argument, I would say, I mean, not or excuse, not argument, um, that people in our profession say that, like, I can't talk to somebody who doesn't know what I do. Well, one, I think it's a little bit of a defense mechanism right there, right? Sure. Because if you come and you sit down, even to Chris's point, if you come and sit down and I just need to unload this, I need somebody else to help me carry this, right. you're opening up a gate. And how open do you want that gate to be? How much do you want to have to talk about? How much do you want to have to check back into or revisit emotionally, mentally? So I think there's just some acknowledgement of that. Do you I, think that the fear, once you open up, that it's just a floodgates are going to come? Do you think that's a fear for most people that come talk? Absolutely. And I think that that's not just police officers. I think yeah, that's everybody, people in general. Everybody. But I also think there's this kind of preconceived idea of what therapy looks like. Right. right. And some people get, well, am I, like, do we lay on the couch? Do we sit on the couch? <laughs> are you always analyzing me? What right. kind of diagnosis are you giving right. me? Are you judging me? I think that's a big one. Right. The yeah. judgment. Right. Yeah. And before Botox, you could really see this like <laughs> judgy eyebrow that I would get. Right, but wow. now I'm just Botox that bad boy right out. Right. So her facial expression yeah. never changes. This yeah. is comfortable. Yeah. 
<laughs> actually, part of her benefits plan is actually <laughs> that's covered because that's how she keeps her clients. I keep asking my accountant, like, this feels like a business expense. And they just keep telling me, no, Melissa, I'm write sorry. Write it off, that's, write it off. It's not how that works. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think for our profession, you know, we, to a certain degree, we mirror society. Like, I, I had served and, you know, was in the first Gulf War, and you come out and you have these things that you, you know, you just put away, you compartmentalize it and mm-hmm. put it away or don't have the practical experience in the world to, like, maybe make it a reference point for you. You know, like, what you start to realize, especially, like, part of the people that do what we do, whether it be for the military, law enforcement, public safety, whatever it is you want to call it, nurses, you know, people that see frontline stuff, like, at its worst, like ER nurses type things, you compartmentalize it and put it away, but then you get these reference points. Like I always say, like you have children and you realize what you, what freaked me out was, I don't care how knowledgeable I am. I don't care how much of a badass I think I am. I really can't protect anybody because when it happens, it's going to happen. And this moment of like idea of weakness of that you, you kind of understand that when you're young and then you're in these organizations that have always like manifested treatment in the form of the military used to be like, everybody drank you just it was just part of what you did you go to the field you wouldn't have access to it then you would come in and everybody from the top down was like yeah we do whiskey or we drink beer or the guys are in the barracks you know getting completely intoxicated and that's just how you kind of dealt with it and everybody's just like oh this is what we do this is how you feel better this makes you funny everybody laughs about you know what a goof you were acting like the day prior and you know if something didn't manifest itself with you know hooking up with a member of the opposite sex during that time you generally just like you know, had an episode and everybody like laughed at you, like, you know, you know, usually puked and then you were done and, but you weren't really <laughs> right. dealing with the problems that you were having. And then you just kept that with you and kept that with you. And the military community got its arms around it way faster than we did, particularly um, after Iraq, you started to see like uh, suicide became, I'm not saying it was any less prevalent prior to that. I'm just saying it just became an issue as a force protection issue. The military really started looking at a lot of these things because the amount of, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with the pressure the VA was feeling because of the cases that were involved with it, the payouts that we had to do for PTS and things like that, which were justified. And then the amount of homelessness and things that came from that, the police world, it, it, you have a much more structured support network, like of a family and things like that, but it doesn't make the problem any less. And I, and I think that's one of the big issues that people don't understand about it's unique to everyone's experience. And I think coming forward about it can have you lose what you feel, lose a lot, you know, well, I think, it, biggest, I think, yeah, I think I, when you do, when, when you think about coming forward, I think you think about like, okay, how am I going to be perceived by my peers? Does this make how me, am I going to lose out on things I fought for? Like, yeah. Oh, I'm on the SWAT team and now I'm having an issue and now I get taken off that team and everybody knows I was taken off that team because the department's only 250 officers and everybody knows. And then there's the rumor mill and all this other stuff. And then, you know, I'm going to be taken off the street and I have right. no sense of like the ability to kind of deal with it, uh, but I don't deal with it. And then I mess it up on the street. So it's a really, really complex issue. It's like when a professional athlete has a mental health related issue. He's in the stadium trying to deal with the mental health related issue and people are actually making fun of the athlete for coming forward and saying right. that they have the issue. Like there was a receiver that played for the Bears that you know went out and was like outspoken about it. And then you'd saw at games people were holding up signs making fun of his illness. Right. You know what I mean? That's the kind of society that we're in because it's hard to come forward with some of it sometimes because of the stigmas. I mean, I think it's hard just to, you know, that's probably one of the big things that I don't even know where we begin. Like, Melissa, how would you... I mean, how, how could we begin to like say, hey, that this is okay and and, and people just need it? And, and, you know, I mean, unfortunately, probably there, there is going to be some stigma to it. But, I mean, 
where will we start? Just saying it's it, it's all right. It's not going to affect you really. It's going to make you better. I think what you're doing right now is a great place to start. I feel like the more people who normalize it and talk about it and the pros and cons of it, we can't just wrap this up in a pretty bow and say, well, you know, you go to a therapist and it's going to be fine and there's going to be no consequences and you're going to feel better and we're all going to feel better and yay, therapy. (laughs) Right. You know, you can't really sell it like that. I think just having an open, honest conversation about what therapy is and there might come a time where you're going to have someone that's not going to agree with going or have some alternative ideas about what therapy is. But how do you deal with that? And then how do you turn to your therapist or your people and talk about that? Right. And and people need varying levels of things. You know, I mean, some people might just need a smaller, right? They might just have like a, maybe a smaller thing that they have to work on. Some people obviously have bigger things that they right. have to work on. I mean, I know from like stuff that we do and talking about how we handle stuff, I feel like just for me personally, like the way we do things and the things that we deal with sometimes, I feel like you kind of have almost like these like mini counseling sessions you know you have some kind of like traumatic incident or something terrible or something you deal with and the officers that you're friends with that you are close with you know you'll kind of talk about it after the fact and it's you know it might only be a five minute conversation or you're you're out somewhere later having a cup of coffee and you're like geez i can't believe what happened there you know it was right it was it was stressful this and that okay you know and you kind of talk about it then you move on and I think that works, right? I mean, I think partly for some people because I mean, I've been I've been involved in hectic things with all three of these guys o- over the years, and you know, you can talk about stuff with your friends, and sometimes that's enough just to get you mm-hmm. past that whatever that little incident was, and then you move on to the next. Thing. Right, and I'm not just saying this because Melissa's here, but e- even when Melissa's not here, I think this is kind of like a, a mini therapy session for us, no matter what we're talking about. I mean, whatever the right. topic is, I would think just to be able to talk about it, you know. Right, Chris, you're up on your nine visits through AAP with me. So <laughs> you're going to have to start paying. I got to pay the deduct. Right. What do you call it? Okay. The copay? Yeah. Uh, she, she, walk, I got to give her a yeah. 20. Hey, Sean's got access to your health savings account. There's <laughs> <laughs> my card. I keep some stats on it. So so why don't you walk us through, and, and, I, and, I, and this is going to be kind of a, uh, a, a I don't want to say a hard question, but walk us through like a normal therapy session or like how it gets started when people come in, let's just say somebody takes a step and say, okay, you know, I'm going to come and I'm going to talk to you. What? I, I what guess can I'm they expect? To, yeah. Cause what I'm trying to get that. I'm trying to get they, the if they, if they decide to take that step. Like, like well, I guess to start yeah. out with the beginning, like how are people referenced to you? Do you find them? Do they find you? Is it usually through employee assistance? Like I was just, I usually go about. knocking on people's doors. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. Hi, I saw you out in your front yard yesterday. <laughs> we need to you have talk. A big, you have a big butterfly <laughs> net with you? Yes. Like, yes. I just go out and wrap them up. Oh, you're here for me. Standing in line at Meyer. I just kind of like hand out my business card. There's like a drive through mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. door dash now mm. like i can call put you some pants you on you have to come with me yes. right, right. <laughs> all right <laughs> but i mean but just so they come you it's find usually word of mouth word of mouth so oh, someone good. that either comes to see me or one of my colleagues has referred me to someone it's usually word of mouth i don't think opening up the phone book and just point well there are no phone books anymore so anybody anybody <laughs> wow. under the age Date, of 30 dating like, us what is she talking like, about Whoa, somebody that's 26 years old that's a really old <laughs> right. i just blew their minds what is this <laughs> thing therapy for that yeah what is that Ageless. i think word of mouth is is usually the best way to is usually the best way to get 
to get clients. They think there's a level of safety. Like, well, if my if my friend goes there, or, you know, someone that I knew went to therapy, then I'm more willing to try it versus just mm. kind of like a cold call, right. which happens too. Right. You know, there's a whole, um, what is it called? Psychology Today. It's just a whole network of therapists that posts their names and bios and where their practice is. And so people so you can, can just kind of look at yeah, right that. Just go yeah, on psychology today and, and flip yeah, through therapist after therapist until Down you find specific one. types of issues that yes. you may or may not have. Right. Yes. I mean, I guess the question is, is because it's so diverse, like in the sense of like what you think you might be dealing with and what in turn you, you know, really could be dealing with, like, you know, you could confuse PTS with depression uh, because mm-hmm. you are a soldier or you're a cop. Oh, I got PTS. Well, it could be, you just, normally suffering from depression because it's not been diagnosed properly in your family and things like that. So getting to somebody like you is the first step is huge because they'll really kind of be able to, I think, help you narrow it down as to what it was. Right. You know? Well, yeah. So, how do you even distinguish? How do you know? Right. Like this well, is just, I'm just worried about right. this. It's no big deal versus, well, actually this is kind of generalized anxiety and you're pretty anxious all day, every day. And it's starting to impact your daily functioning. Yeah. Right. So hey, don't rely on the Zodiac is what you're saying. Right. Don't rely on the Zodiac. <laughs> I mean, sometimes on Tuesdays, I hear that that's really great. <laughs> Tuesdays. When the so moon is in retrograde. Yes. Like, right. What? So they come in, they sit or lay down or however they do it. So what, what Chris is really obsessed with the I don't, laying down part. Right. I don't ever make anybody lay down. Okay. Right. Chris right. is laying down right now. Right. The couch is big enough that that's what you need that day, but. Why? Right. Why is he taking a nap? He brought his own couch. Right. You know, you should I just got the air pump going. So, all right. And then, like, what would be the expectation? It was just more of, not the expectation, but how would you start that conversation out? Do you look at him and go, well, you're here. Well, what do you, I mean, <laughs> check the box or no? I mean, I just, I think I'm trying to get in, in a funny way. I'm trying to get over the anxiety of they sit down and they're, they're staring you at the face and, and, and like, they usually hey. always sit at the end of the couch. Oh, I'm sure. Closest to the door. And yeah. we're nervous, especially if they've never been to therapy before because they don't know what to expect. Right. So I usually just take a deep breath with them. Right. And mm-hmm. the first session, really, I'm going to be doing most of the work. Because I'm just going to be asking you a lot of questions about yourself, your family, what you experienced, what brought you in today. Do you have any experience with going to therapy before? You know, what have you noticed is different? I'm just going to ask you a lot of questions. So I'm going to kind of guide you through that. And that's my way of kind of getting a brief snapshot of what's on your plate, what you're carrying around with you every day that has kind of brought you. And usually people are at that point of like, if I don't go talk to somebody, my face is going to explode. Right. Yeah, right. So by the time they get into me, there's a lot of unpacking. And it's totally okay if you come in and you sit down and you burst into tears because you've been holding on to that stuff for a yeah. good long time. Right. right. So welcome in. Let it go. Right. Here's some questions for you. And then I always, the choice is up to you. If you'd like to come back, great. I would love it. Let's mm-hmm. see what we can dig through and how we can unpack this. If you want some time to think about it, Here's my number. You just let me know. So it's like a, it, it, each individual case is, you know, it, it's not like you got to come back every week. It's, you know, hey, yeah. what's, what's comfortable with you? Yeah. Have you ever had this, have you ever had a patient or person that came in and you're like, yeah, you, you got to go see somebody else. This just isn't going to work. Or, you know, you just sit there and go, holy cow, this is, this is really bad. I mean, I would be lying to you if I said that I didn't have someone come in and it usually starts with, well, I'm just a little anxious. And as they're kind of sharing more and more information, you realize, well, actually there's really significant levels of trauma. Okay. Here. Mm-hmm. 
but I usually don't open with that. I don't want to yeah, scare right. somebody right. away. No, no. You know, they yeah, know right. what they right. have going on. Right. And it's it's not up to me to di- to dictate what this process is going to look like or how quickly we're going to move. But yeah, I mean, I absolutely have had people come in where I've thought to myself, well, this is going to take some effort and some time. And what do I need to do to build that trust and to build that rapport that keeps them coming back? So I imagine as you continue on your profession that you probably are very good at, I mean, you probably see things right off the bat where you might know, even like though this, I'm seeing right, 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 yeah, right, right. yeah. That's, that's, what's, that's actually right. what's freaking me out right now. <laughs> I noticed that she sat at the I, end of the table, right? When you guys but I did ask. This thing, I right, right. walked I'm over kidding. to the I'm end kidding. of the right. table of course, and stood here, and then asked where I should sit, knowing full well I was going to sit right here. Right. <laughs> yes. right. This whole well, thing is really starting to freak me out. Now I got sidetracked. No, but I'm sure, like you probably. Like you said, you you start to realize that people maybe have something more major going on, but do you sometimes, you can already see that coming? It's just, I'm going to let you take your time to tell me whatever that thing is. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And there are some things that I don't see coming. I like to call them door handles because they'll drop the bomb as their hand is on the door and they're walking out of my office. Really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, 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 so we'll start there. Okay, bye. I'll build our insurance So, I mean, uh, to everybody who's listening, you know, cop, civilian, whatever, it's it, as scary as it is. I mean, from cops, you know, it, it's easier for us to go and, you know, we've all been through, you know, those, those situations where you got to go through the door. Sean's been through hundreds of doors not knowing what's on the other side. I mean, for us, it's easier to do that than to come sit down, I think, and say, okay, I, I need to talk about this. But I think for our listeners, it's as scary as it is. Just think about that room that you don't know what's on the other side, but you know you got to do it, mm-hmm. you know, because it's just, it, it's going to be it's going to be better whether there's a bad guy or there's, you know, something that has to be tended to or something. That's why you took the job. I think the oath you took, you, you owe to yourself too. And it's not, it yeah, is I mean, scary. I mean, there's, I mean, just sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, I don't know if I could do it, but if I had to, you would have to. We, as a profession, I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this to de- devalue anybody else's, but we as a profession have these issues put in our brain way more than most other professions do. Like you have to go to combat and see some really horrific things to see what a cop or a firefighter or an ER nurse sees on a day-to-day basis. And you just get comfortable with rolling with it, but it's, it, you know, it's like a drop in the bucket. And before you know it, the bucket's overflowing, you're like, why do I have all these issues? And why can't I get close to people? Why can't I, you know, you know, why do I not want to ever go out and be social with people? Because I'm afraid to connect and, and get attached because I can see how quickly, like I'm powerless to keep these people safe because that's what draws us to this work. Right. And you, we should just almost demand it, like demand this regularly. Like, well, that's how I was you know, just like, going to get it. Yeah, we haven't demanded physical fitness as a requirement for ourselves as a profession once we clear the academy. And the guys that you see sometimes that end up doing better, I think, and this is just this is anecdotal. It's not what's kept me moving forward from both experiences in the military and, and law enforcement is physical fitness, and it's a, it's a form of a release, but. Uh, you know, I'm not going to lie here. I'm not going to, I'm not hiding anything. I mean, in order to get hired, I went and talked to someone to help me because I was concerned that things that I had anxieties about would have shown in the psych. And I would have been again, missing out on an opportunity in my life. Look, you don't, they want experienced people that have seen things to do our work so we can relate to a wider swath of people. Well, that level of experience and stress comes with other baggage. So if you want those people, 
when they come to do a psychoanalysis test, you can't go, oh, 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 this person wasn't, you know, there were some things here that didn't really pop for us. So now you can't do this. And you're like, well, wait a minute, you know, like I- I'm getting the help that I need. And I was deeply afraid of that process. I was really, really scared that if I went and kind of dealt with what turned out to be separation anxiety more than anything else for me, um, <clears throat> would have kept me from getting the job. And that mm-hmm. actually, actually, helped quite a bit you know i mean very rarely do you sit with somebody and they say hey you did a really good job and then i remember taking two psychoanalysis uh if that's what i'm if that's right melissa what i'm calling it i'm just a layman's term uh my original one and the guy was like super he said you did really well on this and i was like wow that's the first time anybody said i ever did anything mentally well <laughs> and then then what i did my, my swat <laughs> one was which had new one for swat uh, the guy's like you are so in touch with what bugs you, you're, you're way ahead of most other people. And I was like, well, that's cool, but well, how do I go out and tell everybody that? You know, like, hey, he thinks I'm in touch with my crazy button better than anybody else. You know what I mean? Like, that's what you think. You know, like, like wow, that's cool, I guess. But it's, it's really like how it's been stigmatized and crazy. But like, I, I'm going to tell you, I tell everybody I meet, if you got those issues, go deal with them and get a pro. Somebody's third party that's not bought into your problem whatsoever. I mean, it's not going to feel their feelings hurt like your spouse or your kids or your coworkers that you think you're the, like, go talk to one of these people because all they do, honestly, and they're awesome at it, is listen and direct mm-hmm. and provide you like low level intrusion options to get basically your shit straight. I don't, guys, I'm just using terms that cops can relate to. That's what this is about. Don't let it continue to compound and be afraid of it. Right. We're like really fancy GPSs. You know, right. you're going to come in and you're going to let me know what's going on. And I'm going to show you all these different options that you have. Like mm-hmm. these are different routes you can take. It's up to you whether right. or not you want to take it. Right. I'm not going like to force you to do it. Like we talked earlier, like it's a food service. Like every, like how many different forms of chicken fingers can I get? <laughs> through fast right, food right, 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 right. And my partner was like, hey, you want to go get chicken fingers? I'm like, no, because I'm 50. Right. <laughs> The hard mind reasons I look Stop at it. Stop denying yourself. Yeah. It's called self care, Sean. Right. <laughs> right, right as go. long as there's a, some it, brand with that it. Same kind of like. There's so many different options that you can get to really get you squared up, and you might go down one of those and go, "Hey, you know what? That, that didn't really work for me. So maybe it's something a little bit different. This is not like a simple one times like, "Oh, you broke your arm. We're going to set it with right. a splint, and this is how we do it. And traditionally, this is how long it takes to recover. And traditionally, this is the rehab for this kind of a break in your arm. And this is what you've got to do. We've got that down to like." Mm-hmm. But then we're talking about mental health and we're like, eh, yeah, nah, mental health nah. doesn't really work that right. way. Yeah, right. And it shouldn't. It no. really shouldn't. And we should be like part of the journey. It should be like looking forward to figuring out how I'm deconstructing and putting this all back together. And we're like, we want the quick results. Like I do, like, how long am I going to be down, Doc? I can't yeah. run for yep. what, right. six weeks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's that's what the, okay, good. Yeah, because we'll do it in four anyway. So, or three. And in the meantime, like if I break my arm in the process of getting better, it's going to only make that situation worse. But with mental health, so I go, oh, I'm going to go down this path. I got six weeks. All right. But then something traumatic happens to me because I'm a police officer mm-hmm. and that's what I deal with. And then I don't get the help. And then that treatment turns into something else. You guys got to understand that this is not, it, it's not, it. although it's steeped in science, it is. I mean, to right. a certain degree, it is as unique as the individual that experiences the trauma and how they process it in their DNA. Right. Which is a good segue to one of the things, I think the other thing that we have fear of is that, oh my God, I'm going to be labeled. I have a mental health diagnosis. So what I'm going to do is I, I looked up a survey out of Texas and I, what I'm going to ask you is just kind of explain so people are more relaxed of what these terms actually mean because you hear these terms and you're like, Oh no! Like, like I'll I'll tell everybody right now. I don't. I write everything down. I have a journal that here, and I just write everything down. That's 
that's what I do. I mean, whether it's, you know, separate from your dream journal, that's that's my whiteboard, (laughs) big airplane on it, Rolls Royce ghost. That's whole different. It's Uh, a liger. (laughs) So, but for me, that bread for their magic and skills. (laughs) Right. And a 14 year gold monopoly game. (laughs) <laughs> those little 14 character gold characters dude yeah, i'm gonna get one anyway okay so we get sidetracked so easily <laughs> yeah, don't right. they oh shiny pretty <laughs> thing oh my god <laughs> where's the your recording for us <laughs> so and but i think one of the things that people when, when you're thinking about they're like well what if i go in there and she you know she says that i got like adhd adad times four like what we, so one of the things i kind of want to get and, and you know we could probably talk for four hours on this but so there was a survey out of Texas, and there was 434 officers, and 12% of those reported a lifetime mental health diagnosis. And I think when you hear that, you're like, oh, my God, that's great. I mean, but when you talk about mental health diagnosis, that is that anything from, um, listen, you really, you know, this is going to be hardcore medication, to, hey, you got to write stuff down in a journal? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole spectrum. It's anything from... PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, to anxiety, which is, you know, there's that whole spectrum of diagnoses that come with that. So, you know, so I, what I'm trying to get across is when you hear health diagnosis, that that doesn't mean your life stops. It doesn't no. mean, because this is, and trust me, I'm no therapist nor doctor, but I think everybody in the world has their own mental health issues and whether it's an issue or a tick or whatever i mean it, it i think everybody does and i mm-hmm. think if, if people hear that word diagnosis and they and they go like oh my god um so what i want people to understand is is it's just a term it it's doesn't just a term and yeah. honestly this is probably going to sound terrible <laughs> i have to do that in order to bill your insurance right yeah is it is it my preference to give someone a diagnosis after sitting with them for 45 minutes? Absolutely not. We've barely scratched the surface. We really don't have any idea. But that's what insurance wants. Right. Well, and I think... It, it's and, good to know. Yeah. And, it, and, and yeah, again, right. I think I, it's I, awesome I was to not know. aware of that. I was not aware of that either. Yeah, and I think it's also good to know is that, you know, it, it's it's something that you have to wrap your arms around too, that there's going to be this diagnosis that's going to have to get said because we have to bill your insurance. It doesn't end your life. No. I think the biggest heart, the hardest step of that is just saying, okay, it's not a big deal. This is who I am. This is what I do. I write shit down. This is who I am. Some people have used their phones. Some people can remember shit, but it's just, it's who you are. And just because there's a diagnosis because you're getting help doesn't mean it, it's not well, the it's end of the world. It's just one part of you. And I think, when we subscribe so wholly to something that I am this diagnosis, I think it it can wear at you. Oh yeah, but that's right. just one right. small piece of a much bigger picture. Right, right. You know, right. you are right. not anxiety. Do you right. have right. some? Yep. Right. But that doesn't mean that's what you are, or that that has to dictate how you view yourself and the world around you. Right. All right, the next one, it says 20%, 26% had a positive screening resulting for current mental illness symptoms. That, that doesn't mean, when I read that, I think people will get, in our profession, will get that fear of, oh, my God, does that mean I'm currently had this, you know, it's, it's, it's going to define me. I, to me, when I read this, um, I think it's more of you're, you're currently going through something. Yes, that, that's exactly what that means. I think... 
reading that when you think of current mental illness, right. hallucinations, delusions, psycho. Right. That's right. not at all what that means. It just means right now you have something going on that's probably heavier than what you can carry on your own. Right. That's it. I mean, yeah. I, like for me, I, I, I like if, 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 you know, my oldest daughter's, you know, college tuitions do, or, you know, I mean, at that point in time, you had that anxiety or, you know, I've run a business, you know, at that point in time, you had that anxiety. Or it could be like one incident, right? I mean, it could even be like an incident, something that happens and you're maybe struggling to get past that a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm thinking your parents you- are getting divorced. You yeah. lost your right. job. You're getting right. remarried. I mean, any one right. of those life changing events moving. brings about something. You're moving. Right. right, right. You've had a baby. I, I actually, that helped me. I got out of Illinois. <laughs> so jealous. So, yeah. I feel like I next time he keeps looking out the window. I feel like next time Chris <laughs> needs to yeah, fly good. us all down to South Carolina for this little ditty. Yeah, I've got, I've got plenty of space. That's for sure. Until my family. He lives in a camper, but right. I do. It'll, 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 be little, it'll be a little. It'll be a little down by I'm the river. Like, uh, I'm like, what was the guy from Trapper John MD that lived in the parking lot? <laughs> oh in the camper? oh wow. yeah, you are really Gonzo. Gonzo. God, you you are really dating yourself, but right. I but I know that as well. So oh, it's fine. Man. Yeah, sitting on a lawn chair on top of the pretty quickly, right? Um, and then the last part of the the statistics is the fact that out of all 434 police officers that um, took the survey, 17 had sought mental health care in over the last 12 months. Only 17 percent. 17 percent. 17 percent or 17. 17 percent. One seven. Which, in honesty, is a lot. Is a higher number than I thought. Um, yeah. So I think we're moving in the right direction, but nowhere near where we should be. Because, and this is just my philosophy. I think, you know, like you said earlier, Sean, this should be something that we should look at it, it, as having it done. And even if you just go sit and stare at each other for 15 minutes or whatever, I mean, I think, mm-hmm. and again, there's have to be whole studies and all this other stuff. But, you know, the, the thing, the, the flip side of all of this is that, you know, we're not good to our brothers and sisters with this. We get really self-centered rather quickly because staffing is an issue. Like, oh, every agency staffing. Now it's going to get even worse with less people wanting to come into the work and more people leaving. So you go down, you break your arm or a guy keeps messing up his back. Or What's with you with the arm breaking today? You all right, man? What's that? What's with you with the, all the arm breaks today? Arm references. Man, it's from arm, all his arm, arm breaks. Skateboard. People break right. their arms. Skateboard. My arm. It's very traumatic. Why do you keep bringing this up for me? It's very <laughs> triggering. Anyway, yeah. anyway. Okay, you will listen to it. But the thing is, is we're not compassionate to our peers. Like, hey, Obviously. this is a serious issue. You got to take the time to get right. Because if you don't, guess what happens to our profession? You're out there, you're dealing with issues, and you deal with it with the public, and you deal with it in a very demonstrative and under stress, you have a tendency to break. Um, and now the whole profession suffers for it. We don't cut each other a break. So when somebody's out, that was an idea that unsolved. <laughs> right. That Somebody just broke Chris? their arm. Right. Uh, <laughs> Every time a bell rings. <laughs> Sean breaks his arm. Yeah. Yeah, I break, oh my God, I got to go. Um, but uh, you know, we, we got to cut each other breaks on that. Like when people are seeking the proper treatment from this to get straight, it's not like, a, oh, the guy's on work comp, working the system because he wants to do reports and all this other stuff. Guys have to, people have to get right. And I say guys, I mean guys and girls, of course. But it, it, we've got to be good to each other and understanding that process. Because if we don't, we're going to continue to suffer the problems that we have. Like people say in these recent incidents and recent incidents all along, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did this happen? We never consider the mental health effects people are experiencing when they make bad decisions under tactical stress. Mm-hmm. 
And that's a huge part of these things being common. Like if I see day in and day out, you, you go through a week as a cop and you don't see something that could have or did result in someone's death, that chips away from you and going, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I'm right. afraid to die because I see it so much. And I realize how random it is. And then when it's a, you're facing an incident where you think you could die or you've now manifested every incident is you think you could die. You're going to make bad decisions if you didn't get the help all along to get that. So to Chris's point, that's 15 minutes looking at each other. I mean, I think it needs to be way more structured than that. We need to actually start getting police officers to talk about their problems. And if they don't, that's a bigger issue than keeping it quiet. Like I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Nobody's fine seeing all the crap we see. Right. No, I mean, there's sure no there's way people- you can go in doing right. what it is that you guys do and come out the other end, the same person. There's just and, no way. No way. And the more of a cloistered life that we live with COVID lockdowns and not interacting with people and things like that is only going to make this worse. Like, you know, you're like I, we joked about you're on your parents' insurance until you're 26 years old. My parents already had three kids by the time they were 26 years old. And I'm not knocking millennials, but like we live in a much more, for lack of a better term, privileged and soft society. <laughs> That when we finally experience this trauma as a police officer, you're relatively young, you've never seen it and you have no means of dealing with it. And if one of these younger people says, hey, I know how to fix this. I'm going to go get some help. We're like, yeah, you're weak. Right. I mean, that's, well, that's and part of that is keep doing that. systemic, right? If you right. are coming out of a house where emotions weren't talked about or it wasn't okay to have a feeling or a thought or you weren't taught how to process or deal with any of that stuff and then you go into the military or you join the police force and now I'm encountering these traumas and this these near-death experiences I, I never knew how to deal with this stuff never basically you're yeah. talking about being of Celtic descent <laughs> <laughs> did I just describe you? Did I personally wow. just describe like you? An, an Irish Somebody hit a nerve. She was looking right <laughs> at you when she said it. Somebody hit a nerve. And she's writing go. down notes. Yeah. I'll send you her address when <laughs> we're done. This is well, I mean, I grew right up now. in that household too. We didn't talk. Yeah. We didn't talk about those kinds of things. It was a pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Quit sitting right, on absolutely. your soapbox. Right. Irish power. Irish power. Well, and I had that. You know, we, we talked about this a little bit before about like mental health experiences and having somebody in my family, uh, an uncle who had schizophrenia and people didn't know what to do when I was a kid. And it was like mid, mid to late eighties, early nineties. And that uncle lived with my grandmother and she was widowed and didn't really know. I mean, not that she didn't want to help him, but they didn't know what to do with him. And he was just kind of this person who stayed in his room and you know, it was it was hard as a kid because it's like this is one of my family members, but I only see him every so often. He never comes out of his room. It makes you kind of nervous, and you know, he'd wind up arguing with my grandmother and all this other stuff. And not until my mom stepped in there later, you know, and really pushed and pushed and got him into these programs that even back. Th- I mean, and I was going to ask, you know, like how, if it, we think it's gotten any better, but at that time she was fighting and scratching to get him into these treatment programs ultimately getting himself or getting him into a uh, communal house um, where he got his medication right and therapy and socializing with other people I mean I feel like that was a huge part of it just even in that because he hadn't been around people and um, unfortunately he passed away about back in 2000 but at least those last handful of years when he was back on track or somewhat back on track, you know, he was functioning and living his life and coming to family functions and doing all that kind of stuff. So I didn't even, I, 
I knew something was up and that it was weird when I was a kid, but I didn't really know in the grand scheme of things there what was going on. And then as you know, you get more mature and older and you learn about it and had all these conversations with my mom and about what she went through and then really like learning. And then now seeing that with people that you deal with um, in real life experiences in this profession gives you a little bit of a, you know, I'm not saying I'm by expert by any means, but I, uh, I was a psych major, by the way, Sean. So uh, just so you know, or, I mean, I'm major? sorry, uh, uh, sorry, a psych major? Minor, major, minor, minor, minor. I was a psych minor. Um, so much yeah, more impressive. I know, right? Yeah, God, right. I had to get that out. I had to get that out. I'm sorry. When we're, we're, dying. Right. When we were talking about stuff here, I was going to write that down on my hand to make sure I talked about it. Um, but so yeah, you know, we, we had. So I that was a part of my life, and it was something that you saw and that you dealt with, and then you can apply that to this profession and you see some of those things that people are struggling with. I don't necessarily just start discussing that with people that I deal with out on the street, but it gives me a little bit of insight to things that people are dealing with. So it helps. What do you think that it's gotten in? You've been doing this for, you know, you're so young, five years, maybe. Oh, so um, <laughs> be a little something extra in your paycheck, sir. <laughs> um, but go. over the years you've been doing this and just, just from a law, law enforcement side, have you seen, Increase, decrease, or about the same, and if so, was it was there been a, a big swing in the last couple of years? I don't think there has been a big swing in the last couple of years, but I can only speak from your practice, my practice, right. and I know I'm not the only one that sees law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So. Right. I I really don't know how to answer that question. No, how about from, your colleagues? Have they said anything? Like they've seen increases or anything, or no? Okay, all right. Well, I I I do have a colleague though that works with an officer, and this is just to speak to what you guys. This is going to be like a soft, sensitive moment. Let's oh go get ready. I'm ready. We're ready. We're, We're getting ready. ready. One of my colleagues works with an officer, and one day after session. This colleague walked into my office and just looked at me and said, do you have a minute? And I said, of course. And they completely came unglued. And mm-hmm. that was just after listening to what this officer had to share about what this officer had seen, gone through, been experienced. All mm-hmm. she had to do was listen to it. Wow. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to live it. You guys have to live it. Right. So I, like just carrying all of that all of the time I just wish you would all have somebody to talk to. Yeah, but even yeah. then, I mean, there's right. some things. There's some things that you know that I don't share with anybody. I mean, anybody because it's just I. And again, you know, maybe over time or whatever. But there's some things that you don't share. Like I don't think people will believe me, and or it's just maybe it's a fear of reliving it. I don't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. You know, well, I don't and, know. And you know what we get a lot of times in this job, and people will say to you like what's the craziest thing you've ever seen have you ever you know have you ever seen a dead body like you know because they, yeah. they they right those are i get why people ask because they know that we see a lot of different good bad terrible Fucked things shit. right over the years that we see so they want to hear about that from somebody who's experienced it and then you're that person going yeah i have seen some mm-hmm. horrible stuff but I don't really want to like. I don't really want to sit around hear at a about party. what you saw. They don't want to hear about what that right what right. lives with you because you had to right. see that exactly. Right. And I think when I think from, you know from a professional standpoint, I mean, I think your view is more unlike the story. Like, oh my god, that's so cool. Your your profession is probably more like, 
holy crap, that to see that vision when this guy or this girl closes their eyes at night on a continual mm-hmm. basis, that's got to be that's got to be something traumatic. Well, one of the things as clinicians that we have to do, I guess there's nobody really policing that, but we have to be aware of what our own triggers are. We call it countertransference. When I'm sitting across from someone and they're talking about their relationships or their substance abuse issues or their own traumas, I have to know what is in my bag. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm having some sort of emotional response to what you're saying, I have to know how to manage that. So if we have to do that as clinicians, why isn't that same thing afforded to first responders or officers? Like who's walking you through to have that awareness of maybe what some of your triggers are that might make an experience a little bit more difficult or a little bit more challenging. And Hey, maybe I need to go process this with Max or with my buddies or whatever, right. because I know this, I, I understand this on a different level. This is something we're, we're, that, I mean, we're getting better about it to be honest with you. Like, you know, for years ago in training conferences and things like that, I was never brought up. And now, you know, even in the tactical world, which is the, I mean, I'm not making fun of them. I did it for 17 years, so you can make fun of me all you want. But we're the knuckle draggers. We're the guys that are like, yeah, you send us. We do, you know, kind of things. And even in those conferences, uh, I was most impressed about the National Tactical Officers Association. The last two years, I got to go to that. Every session opened with a discussion of how we've got to be better for each other, getting our arms around it and things like that. And in our world, if people start talking about it, it's probably the best process because you wouldn't talk about it. People wouldn't bring it up. It was seen as like we the things we've been talking about all on this show, but it's getting better. And I think it's generational. You're talking to three guys that came in together and are part of a band of a generation of cops. Um, but I think these younger folks, if we continue to tell them that it's good and it's right and it's the thing to do, we'll do it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the, the sins of the father, right. you know what I mean? Kind of a thing are, are, are carried out by the kids. You know, we got to keep telling these kids that this is the right thing to do. Right. We got to embrace community policing more than we right. have as a generation. Oh, 100%, 100%. We're talking about that. And mental health is a big aspect of that. I think one of the reasons why people see us as this monolithic, non-human thing is because we don't let ourselves be humans. We don't. We just don't do it. You know, whether that's a protection, whether that's just the history of dealing with it or whatever. It, look, modern law enforcement has been bothered, has been affected by PTS. You know, you could talk about this since all these guys came home from Vietnam and like, well, what am I going to do for work? Oh, I'll go into law enforcement. You know, so I saw all this horrible stuff here, and we're seeing now another thing of that. Now, what's going to happen is the police world is going to gain from the drawdowns that are happening in the Middle East because these guys are going to come out and gals are going to come out and go, well, what's something that's relatable? What's something that's transferable? Right. Okay, law enforcement. Right. So they're going to leave the, the protective cover of the VA and its treatment and now come into the law enforcement world where it's much, much weaker in my estimation. And it's going to be a repeat, a recycle. But we got to tell these folks, get your arms around it. This is what you need to do. There's nothing wrong with coming forward and talking to people about it. You see somebody cry, you're like, all right, that's good. It's a release. It's they're letting it go. Right. Uh, and you're not going to see the guys, you know, if, I'm gonna, how we describe it in our work, a guy eating his gun in a parking lot outside the police station. Not only does that affect that officer and that officer's family, you now are affecting the people that have to discover you and then eventually have to get in that car and eventually have to, you know, oh, yeah, that's the spot where Jimmy just did it. You know what I mean? Like that's the stuff that we got to get our arms around because it's, it's like the, 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 you know, the rock being dropped in the pond and the ripple of right. out. by the time it gets to the shore, it can be a tidal wave if you're not careful. Right. And I think one of the things that I did after, you know, I met Melissa a few years ago, um, you know how we always carry our, our attorney's card in our vest. 
you know, just mm-hmm. in case we can, you know, shooting or whatever. I carry some of her cards on my vest, and if some, you know, somebody wants to talk to me, I'll listen. And then I'm like, hey, that's, you know, I'm always here for you. I listen to you, but I think you need to take this a step further. And I, and where years ago you'd be like, oh, okay, that's cool. We good? You all right? Mm-hmm. Where I don't think, you know, now I think we have to, just like you said, Sean, we have to encourage it and say, hey, it's okay. And I think that would be a great idea if you took this one step further because I'm here to listen and I'm here to help, but I, I'm not a pro. I yeah. mean, you, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and it could be in whatever. like It could be a, a dating issue to you know, uh, you know, a, tra- a traumatic situation. Well, I think right. doing what you guys are doing here today and demystifying some of it, what does therapy right. actually look like? You know, what are some of these statistics mean that we're reading through? What does this mean if I have a diagnosis? Just even having a conversation about that. Right. Yeah. Right. It's and really think, good. Yeah. Taking the fear out of it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're coming up on the hour. Uh, anybody got any questions? Uh, cause we're going to have Melissa back for another show on, um, mental health issues in the prison system and how it, uh, I guess how it works in there and then how it comes out and then we're responsible and we have to treat it. And when we talk about that, but anything else on officer mental health we have right, for Melissa, I'll probably have a list of questions for later. Right, right, right. right. That we won't record. A lot of stuff. I'll give Do we get like a police discount like <laughs> on therapy? Or? It's free. Okay. Oh, it's, well, it's just free. All right. Wow. It's just free. But I'm awesome, also going to give you my license plate number so when you see me driving down the road. <laughs> right, right. It's not quid pro quo. Right. That's not quid pro So, um, Melissa, why don't you give your website and or email or how somebody if they really want to talk can get a hold of you. Willow Tree, all one word, dash therapy.com. Okay. And our practice is Willow Tree Therapy Center. All right. And that, that goes to you directly? That goes to me and the other three lovely clinicians that work at the practice. Okay. So if they want you specifically, mention your name They'll in the email? Yep. Okay. All right. Yep. All right. Any, anything for anybody else? Nope. Nope. Good. No, good. Thanks thank for you your time. very much. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much support you guys. future shows. This is going to be great. Yeah, and as always, thank you guys for listening. And please, any questions um, you have, you can email three cops talk at gmail dot com. That's a number three cops talk at gmail dot com. And uh, anything you want us to cover or talk about or questions, we're more than happy to answer. Please also go to where you listen to your podcast, download, uh, subscribe, leave a rating and review. We'd much appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, and stay safe. Bye bye. Bye bye.